Amen. Thanks so much for being here this morning and being a part of our church. Uh, yeah, just a couple of quick notes here, and that is that um, I don't know if you've heard, but uh, just uh, I think it was last week, it was announced that we were going to go into a pause on Wednesday, and then we got two days into the pause, and now we have a freeze. And so now we're going into a freeze from a pause, and so I'm not sure what the difference is between the freeze or the pause, or whether that has anything any real uh, description there at all, but in any case, it is, uh, it's a little bit confusing uh, from the government, but um, regardless, they are asking us to go down to a 25-person limit. Obviously, we have uh, about 100 people for serv- per service. Um, I don't know how many are in here. It's not quite 100, but last two were, were full, and so uh, we're, we're, we're actively talking through exactly what that's going to look like for us as to how we're going to abide uh, by these restrictions and and, and things like that, and just praying through what is God call, calling us to do during this time. And so uh, we are working through that actively as elders, and ultimately uh, we'll come down to a decision here and let you guys know. So stay tuned for that. But ultimately just know this, that um, you know, I've, I've got friends that are in ministry that are pastors in other churches. They get angry emails from people that are, are saying, how dare you make us wear a mask, and how dare you abide by what the government um, has asked us to do, and then you've got the other side where people are saying that not enough people are wearing masks, and, and we shouldn't be meeting at all, and, and so, I mean, you can't win today entirely. I don't get those kinds of emails. I think maybe I'm just a little too intimidating or, or something like that. I'm not entirely sure what it is. Um, I'm pretty soft and gentle, though, on the inside, so... Uh, but I didn't say that in the first two services, but anyway, uh, so uh, in any case, um, yeah, so thanks for not sending those kinds of emails. I know where a lot of you stand. I know some of you don't like it. Some of you like it at different times. Um, and just understand that ultimately your name's not going to be in the paper. My name's going to be in the paper probably. And so let me take the responsibility for leading here in this area along with the elders of the church. And would you just pray for us, for me, that we make good decisions. And just by the way, like God has like blessed us immensely um, in through COVID. And so, uh, so we can continue to just see how the Lord is gonna use difficulty uh, during this time and let's hope it's over soon. Uh, so uh, also THX is coming up here in less than two weeks. We need to raise about $8,000. So we just ask that you would give above and beyond regular giving uh, towards THX. We're uh, trying to serve about 300 families, which means about 420 individual meals because some of those families get double, double portions and things like that. And so we've got a hill to climb between now and then. And then Thanksgiving morning at 9 or 10 a.m., two different start times, uh, we're gonna have, we need pe- drivers who are gonna deliver meals and so we definitely need you. So if you could please be a part of that, that would be awesome. Uh, well, there will be directions on the website and on Facebook for that as well. So <clears throat> we're gonna be in Luke chapter 10. Um, obviously, that was just read, verse uh, one through 24 was just read for us. I wanna focus in on verse 20 where Jesus says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And as I've been studying this passage, it seems like a difficult passage to understand. It seems like something 
uh, like it's kind of confusing at times. But one of the things that I came down to is this idea that we are to rejoice that our names are written in heaven. Like if you're a believer here this morning, like that should be your greatest joy. That should be the thing that you glory in the most. But the truth is that most of us do not. But the first thing you got to really understand is why this is even important, why this is even something that that you should desire to think about. I've been uh, historically or actually been doing some uh, historical uh, study recently. My neighborhood is, uh, is a neighborhood that was kind of began by a, ga- by a guy by the name of Fabritus Smith. That was his first name, Fabritus. If you thought you had a hard time in middle school, this guy had a really hard time in middle school, Fabritus Smith. And so he came and he got a land claim. And so he owned basically my neighborhood from like South Commercial um, there somewhere by McKinley Elementary, probably over to 12th Street. He had, I think it was 600 acres, something like that. He had an uncle that he drove a wagon train with uh, from uh, New York. His uncle's name was Joe Waldo. Uh, Waldo Street is on the other side of, of my street, which is over on, on Fairview. And Fabertus Smith uh, created this, this neighborhood, basically, and then his family developed it and sold it off and, and all of those things. But one of the things that I've really been looking for is I've been looking for, like, is my family involved with his family at all? And so my, my grandfather's family came over from somewhere, I can't remember where, uh, I should figure that out, but came over as well on a wagon train. Someone in my grandfather's family, I was just asking my 97-year-old grandmother the other night as to like, well, who came over and she couldn't remember and, and so, so forth. So I need to figure that out. But one of the things that I'm looking for is I'm looking for my family's name on my mother's side. I'm looking for my name in there because I want to see this connection there. I want to see what's there. In Jesus' time, what would have been happening is this, is that there would have been a list of names of a town and those names, these are the people that belong to this town. These are the people that belong here. What Jesus is saying here is that you should be rejoicing that your name is written in that town, in the town of heaven, that you should be excited, that you should glory in this, that this should be your greatest joy ever. And yet the problem is today that many of us do not glory in the fact that our names might be written in heaven. We don't glory or rejoice in the idea that, uh, that that is really what we want. And it really comes down to a critical problem. And the critical problem is this, and that is that we do not glory in this relationship, this vertical relationship. We glory and we rejoice in the horizontal relationship. We rejoice in the relationships that we have here and what people give back to us. Mark Sayers has a great book about this called Vertical Self. And what he talks about in there is that ultimately we are a group of people that are ultimately, that we ultimately derive our meaning, purpose, value, our identity, our very selves from the relationships around us, from the people around us and what they say about us and what they speak into our lives. And we put stuff out into this world and we put stuff out there and we say, you know, am I valuable? And we sit there and wait for the likes to come in, 
Do they like what I gave? Do they like what I submitted? Do they think my comments are awesome? And not just in social media, but we're looking for this world to ultimately define who we are. And Jesus says the definition of who you are is found in heaven, that your name would be written there. And ultimately, I see this as one of the greatest problems that the American church has today. One of the greatest problems that the American church has today is that we are not vertically oriented, but we are very much like the rest of the world around us, and that is that we are horizontally oriented that we get our meaning, purpose, value, our identity from the world around us. Instead of looking into our names being written in heaven, we are looking for our names to be written right here and right now for people to be rejoicing over us. And Jesus says, I want you to rejoice over the fact that your names are written in heaven. But how do you do that? What does that look like? Mark Sayers has a great uh, comment here. He says, the elephant in the room of contemporary Christianity is people's ability to simply sit in church, to consume the experience the way one would a great sporting event, a thrilling movie, or an exciting theme park ride, and then to dispose of it totally unchanged at the soul level as they leave the sanctuary. Sure, they might feel challenged, encouraged, or even moved, but the horizontal self simply feels the experience and moves on. See, what happens is this, is that because we don't value that relationship with Jesus, because we don't value that our names are written there, ultimately what we're looking for is we're looking for something else to feed our ego, something else to to speak to us, something else to feed us. Have you ever said that when you've left a church? I'm just not being fed. I've heard that many, many times. And uh, we've all said it at one, one time or another, but I'm just not being fed. Ultimately, what we're saying is this. We're saying that my identity is not found in who Jesus is and my name that's being written there. Ultimately, my identity is found in this world. And to the degree that the church affirms that, to the degree that the church Uh, fills that in and makes me feel good about myself, I will be there and I will see change. But that is not how change takes place. So what's happening here in this passage? How does this speak to us this morning? And I want to show you that. In chapter 10 here, he says to his 70 or 72 disciples, depending on which translation you're reading, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. He says there's a, an, a massive harvest out there, but there's not enough people uh, to take in the harvest that I have created, that God has created. And so he says, I'm sending you out. So basically what's happening here, Tim Keller kind of speaks to this, and he says that there's three things that happen in this passage. When you first become a believer, when you first come to a point where you realize the sin that's in your life that causes you uh, to be alienated from God, the reality that you are so alienated from God because of all of the identity issues that you've had, because you have tried to get uh, identity and self and worth and value out of everybody else. When you realize that what you really need is Jesus and you come to faith and you realize that Jesus is the identity that you need, he has what you need. When you come to him, he immediately sends you out on mission. So he says this very quickly in verse three, he says, go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Jesus says this, you want to come into me? I'm immediately sending you out. So he's sending them on mission. 
The second thing that he does here is that he's sending them with a message. What is the message? The message is essentially this. He says this in verse 9. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. He says, I want you to bring tangible ways that you could heal the sick, that you can uh, rebuild their community, that you can uh, allow them to be healed by the kingdom of God coming into their life and bringing about restoration. So he sends them on mission to bring a message. But then the third thing that happens is really our point, And that is that it has to have a motivation. There has to be a motivation. And here's the crux of the issue. Our motivation is often driven by the world, the horizontal relationship, instead of the vertical relationship with God. And so what happens as a result is that we find ourselves in a place where we're out of gas, where the things that we thought were going to be with us forever, the, the ways that we thought that we were going to be fulfilled and all of those things, they're temporary. They're short-lived. People's approval of you is not forever. Think about the culture that we live in. This, this culture, have you heard of this idea of cancel culture? We, you, we don't like what you said, and so we're canceling you. We're not just canceling uh, your show. We're canceling you. You will be canceled. You will be dismantled. Everything that you stand for will go away. That's what this world is about. It's temporary. It's short. It is short-lived. And so what is, how does Jesus speak to this is what I want to get at this morning. Look at verse 17. The 72 returned with joy. They're joyful. They're very excited and they should be. Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They come back and they say, Lord, it was incredible. Like we had power in your name over these spiritual beings and they were cast out. And Jesus responds to that by saying, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Does Jesus mean that he saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven before time began when Satan was banished from heaven as a fallen angel? Or does he mean, like when you guys were out doing ministry, I saw Satan fall like uh, lightning from heaven because of the work that you were doing? We don't know exactly. All that we know is this, is that Jesus seems to be saying to these 70 or 72 disciples, I saw what you guys are doing. I saw. I, I, I see that. And he says, behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. What's Jesus mean by that? Difficult passage. He says, I have given you authority over these powers of the enemy. Scorpions, serpents represent evil. I've given you power and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Jesus is saying, yeah, I gave you that power. That's right. Way to go, guys. That's awesome. But then he has a caution. And the caution is this. Nevertheless, that's great. That's cool. I'm so glad that that happened. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. And I don't think Jesus is saying, don't ever rejoice in the success that you experience there. I think Jesus is saying that can't be your ultimate desire. It can't be your ultimate joy. 
Your motivation cannot be externals. He says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. Now, how would we apply that to ourselves? What is the don't do this, but do that? The disciples are motivated by something external. Their ministry is, is motivated and they are overjoyed by something great that has taken place. I remember early on when we started the church, I was the worship leader. I had started the church with another guy and uh, took the college ministry that I was leading and I decided I wanted to be the worship leader. I wanted to be the worship pastor and I wanted him to do the preaching. I wasn't that probably great of a preacher at that point. It's probably a good thing that I was just singing. And maybe that was a terrible idea too, but who knows? Uh, in any case, uh, I was the worship leader and I remember being excited when we would have a night, we had church service at night. It was awesome. People, uh, people were, I mean, coming out from everywhere. There was tons of young people and sometimes that theater would get so packed full and there would just be nights where everybody was so into it. People would be raising their hands and, uh, shouting at the top of their lungs and just praising. And I remember coming away from those moments thinking that like, Oh my gosh, that was awesome. That was so cool. Like we did it. It's so killer. And this is what I think Jesus would say to me. Hey, Matt, it's great. That's cool. I gave you those gifts. I gave you that power. But do not rejoice in that. That cannot be your ultimate joy. The same thing could be said of, of, of preaching and the, the reality that like, man, this, that sermon went so awesome. Matt, do not rejoice in that. Half the time, God uses my worst sermons for his greatest glory. When somebody comes up to me after I just think to myself that I don't even know what I was saying up there. I mean, like, what was going on? Did I get high on accident before I stepped on stage? It's not on camera this time, so it doesn't matter what I say. But uh, <laughs> I didn't actually get high. I have been high for at least a month. But... Uh, uh, no, no, that's not true either. Uh, I have not been high for a very long time. But in any case, okay, there's children in the room. I need to remember this. Okay. Um, what was going on during that sermon? I thought, I thought I had it. And then I, I, I want to crawl off stage and then somebody comes up and says, man, I don't know if they're just being nice. Maybe you were just being nice that day and you were just like, I better make them feel better about this. But more often than not, like God seems to remind me, hey, Matt, I know you thought that it was all about you. I know that you thought it was about your ability to speak. And I know you thought and I know you thought, but don't rejoice in this. Don't rejoice in this because that cannot be your ultimate joy. And men and women, here, here's the thing. It's that Jesus is beginning with his disciples just at the very start. And he's saying, if your ultimate joy is tied to anything other than your name being written in heaven, then you, you are ultimately gonna have a horizontally developed identity that is not based in the God of the universe, that is not based in Jesus Christ. If you have more than enough money, like you, maybe you consider yourself to be rich. Rejoice that your name is in heaven. If you have a fantastic family, rejoice that your name is in heaven. 
If you have a fantastic ministry, like God has empowered you to do amazing things, rejoice that your name is in heaven. If you have what, what great success in business, rejoice that your name is in heaven. Charles Spurgeon turns it around and he says, the opposite could also be true. Like if life is not going well for you right now, like in business is falling apart, rejoice that your name is in heaven because of this. You cannot make this, this thing right here and right now, this relationship, your ultimate joy, your ultimate glory, your ultimate thing. You cannot rejoice in that because it will not always be there. People will not always sing when I lead a worship set. People will not always love my sermons. People will not always think that you're the greatest husband or the greatest wife. People will not always think that your business is awesome. And you may get sick and things may fall apart. And if your joy is in this relationship, it's temporary and it will go away. And Jesus' word to you this morning is to not rejoice in the things that are temporal and subjective. But your joy has got to be in, ultimately, that your names are written in heaven. Now, it's nice to say that, but how in the heck do you do that? I mean, because if, if, if I'm going to be real honest with you, I, I, I would say, like, rejoice that my name's in heaven. Woohoo! Aren't you excited about that? It's pretty great. So I got that going for me. My name's written in heaven. That's pretty fantastic. Just that in and of itself does not evoke for me the feelings of joy, the emotion of joy. My name is written in heaven. It, it, it doesn't cause me to be like, yeah. What, what causes me to get to that point of like, yeah, like, like yes, like that's, that's what it is, is the understanding of how my name got written in heaven in the first place. Like, how did that take place? And look at what Jesus says here. In the same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. Now, remember what, what we're talking about here. The ESV kind of separates it with the title there, which says, Jesus rejoices in the Father's will. But these two things belong together. Jesus says, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And then Luke writes immediately after that, in the same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, what did he say? See, Luke, is, Luke wants us to see this. Luke, Luke is trying to show us that like we're supposed to be rejoicing that our names are written in heaven. And then he says, and this is what Jesus did. And this is what Jesus did. And this is what Jesus did. So look at what Jesus did. What did Jesus begin to rejoice over in the Holy Spirit? And I, I didn't say this in, in first service. I thought it, but I, I, or first or second service. But the first thing that we have to see is that the joy that comes from Jesus is coming about by the Holy Spirit. Like it's got to be a supernatural power that is coming into your life, that is it allowing you to experience the God of the universe, to experience the joy that comes from having your name written in heaven. In the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven. Now think about this. God the Son is praying in the power of God the Holy Spirit to 
God the Father. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hid these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Now think about what, what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, now this is how you rejoice. This is how you do it. It's got to be in the power of the Holy Spirit. So first of all, we need to pray. Holy Spirit, would you please reveal to me, would you please show me how I can be thankful for, how I can experience to contemplate, to cut out all of the stuff that is distracting us, to stop us from thinking about what the show that we're watching, the thing that we need to post, the whatever else we need to get done. Put the phone away, put email away, just stop and say, Holy Spirit, I'm asking for you to speak to me today in this area. And what am I asking you to speak about? God, that, that understanding in you, understanding of you, does not come about because I'm just more intellectually able to think this through. I don't have a corner on the market of wisdom and understanding, but that you have caused me and allowed me to experience you like a little child, that I received you in this. And then he says, yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. What are we talking about here? We are talking about the Holy Spirit bringing to our remembrance the fact that we have been given unmerited grace, meaning that there's nothing that I had, have done, there's nothing that I could have done to cause myself to be able to have a relationship with God, but that God caused me to have a relationship with, with him. He caused me to have it. He brought me into this relationship, and this was his gracious will. This was his gracious will, that he had grace on me, that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me, that Christ gave himself up for me, that he was gracious towards me. So it's contemplating by the power of the Holy Spirit, the reality that by God's will, he has shown his grace on me and that I didn't do it. The second thing is this. It is a word, a theological word called election, not the presidential election, but God electing, God's electing love. Look at what he says. All things have been handed over to me by my father, and no one knows who the son is except the father, or who the father is except the son, and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. What does this mean? That the father is the one that initiated all of this, that the father is the one who before time began. In fact, look at Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, one of my favorite passages where we began the church. Uh, that this is, I mean, where I really fell in love with the scriptures was in the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians says in uh, chapter one, verse three, the NIV says, 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then in verse 4, in the ESV, it says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless in, uh, before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Look at what he's saying. Jesus is saying, I'm praising you, Father, because of your grace that you showed to people that don't deserve it. I'm also praising you because you are the one who's brought about this salvation. This idea of God having chosen me, not because he looked ahead and saw, oh, Matt is going to have good works and he, uh, therefore I'm going to save him. No, he just shown his love on me just because he wanted to. There was nothing that I did to earn that. There was nothing that I could have said. How do you rejoice that your name is written in heaven? First of all, you have to realize that it was all of grace. Second of all, you have to realize that it was all of him. That he caused it. That he made it happen. And then the third thing is Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. He's given us grace. He's given us his electing love and he's given us revelation of him. If you see Jesus as the son of God, He is showing you who the Father is. You see God because Jesus is bringing that about in your life. Now think about what Jesus is saying here. Do not rejoice in the results of your ministry or of your life. They may be good, but they are not good eternally. They may be bad, but they are not bad eternally. You cannot live your life on this level because it will be short and temporary. You must live your life with your greatest joy as having a self that is vertically oriented where my identity, myself, my person does not come from things that are temporary and short-lived, but it comes from the God of the universe that he says, I just loved you and I just wanted to show you my love and I just wanted to reveal myself to you. That's it. The joy that the Christian has is a joy that motivates everything that we do Do you find it difficult to find time to serve his church in your community, whatever? I think your life and my life might be built on this horizontal revelation. And that we're coming to church looking for goods and services and entertainment and we leave here with maybe some pithy statement or something like that that we can take with us through the week. But what Jesus wants from you is he, what the, at the core of the issue is 
do you actually rejoice that your name is written in heaven? And that's a that's the thing I was asking myself all week. Is like, do I rejoice that my name is written in heaven? Am I? I mean, like, if I sit and think about it, well, that's the point, though, isn't it? If I sit and think about it, I just don't sit and think about it sometimes. Think about all the things that I got to do. I got a sermon that I got to write. I want it to be a good sermon. And Jesus says, doesn't matter if it's a good sermon. If you're not rejoicing in the fact that your name is written in heaven, then what you're rejoicing in, Matt, is it the hopes of things going well for you. Like, do you, do you know what it means to be a Christian? It means to value that your identity isn't coming from what other people believe you to be. It's not coming from the number of likes that you have or the number of friends or the shares or whatever. It's not coming from the amount of success that you have. Reality is this, that God is the only one that matters. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Spend time rejoicing that your name is written in heaven. Contemplate the reality that you did not save yourself. That's where the Apostle Paul begins the book of Ephesians. That's what Jesus is beginning with with his disciples. You didn't do this. I did. And for those of you that have no joy, you're still sitting on the fence. I think you, I think you need to understand something. That is that you're not going to come to a place where you believe that you are, uh, that you've intellectually figured out Jesus. Jesus is saying, it is not for the wise and under the understanding, but it's for those who with childlike faith have investigated who I am and put faith in me. And I pray that you do that today, that you would put faith in Jesus Christ. So let's uh, go to the Lord's table here. You guys got a little extra. This is the 11 o'clock. Doesn't matter how late we go, right? Uh, would you just take a few moments and just contemplate your, or rejoice in that your name was written in heaven? Lord, I'm praying for more than a head knowledge. I'm praying for heart transformation. Lord, I'm praying for conviction over all of us, over all the ways that we have created an identity on horizontal relationships rather than our identity coming from you and our name having been written in heaven. Lord Jesus, would you speak to us now? By the power of your Holy Spirit, would you speak to us now? Lord, forgive us for our sin, all of our efforts to be our own God or to create another God. 
Lord, what are the specific ways that we need to ask for forgiveness right now? Would you bring that to remembrance? Or forgive me for the ways that I've sinned, all of the ways that I have tried to build my identity on something else. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for going to the cross for me and showing me unmerited grace, the mercy that's found in your electing love, revealing the Father to me and how much the Father loves me. Lord Jesus, thank you for that. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your body that was broken for us. Let's partake of the body. Lord, we thank you so much for your blood that was spilled for us. Let's partake of the blood. Thank you for going to the cross for us, Lord. Thank you that you loved us that much. Let's continue to worship here for a few moments.